the Activist Season 2. So everyone, welcome back to the show. My name is Randall and today we're talking to Miriam Issa. Miriam, how are you doing? I'm great, Randall. It's really good to see you on Zoom, that is. I know, I know. It's a it's a very strange thing how this is now normal to talk over Zoom, but uh, that's where we are today. So why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and, and you know how you became this media personality interviewer, nuanced presenter that you are today? Well, thank you for that description. And for everyone, Randall and I met in Sydney, Australia. We met at a political conference. We were the two people. We were basically the finest people at the conference. Um, We became friends. And I was really, really excited and honored when you asked me to be on on your show. So I am a Cuban Lebanese, first generation American, born and raised in Miami. I live in Los Angeles. I grew up in a very, um, financially underprivileged home with a very patriotic family. And my family was a mosaic of cultural and political beliefs. In a sense, I almost feel like I am the bellwether for the US because I am made up of so many disparate parts, Mm. so many different political ideologies and I have to balance them all the time. And they are all a part of my identity. My identity is just as nuanced and complicated and messy as the US of A. Um, eventually, I left Miami, moved to Los Angeles, and became a, some people would call me a journalist. I'd say they're wrong. Um, I became <laughs> a kind of a YouTuber. Yeah. <laughs> I will not give myself that credit. I became a YouTuber uh, working in entertainment news. I have interviewed every celebrity you could possibly think of. Don't date them, everyone, if you're watching, but do make friends, many, many friends. Um, and I became a reporter for E! News. So I was the go-to girl for anything happening in the Kardashian household. But while all of this was happening, my country, as everyone watching here has witnessed, was atrophying and our democracy was so rapidly deteriorating. And I decided as a girl who didn't happen to be born in the U.S., my family risked their lives in order for me to be a citizen of this nation. How dare I continue to create content that numbs people, dumbs people, as opposed to waking people up to the real threats around us? You know, like, I think a thing that happens in our Western countries, it's kind of like the frog in the hot water. Do you guys have that expression yeah, in yeah, Australia? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Except yeah. that yours is a tarantula. Yeah, yeah, for yours sure. Yours is a tarantula. Yeah, a bird-eating <laughs> spider in the in the bowl of hot water. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, if things, if terrible things happen slowly enough, you never know when to wake up and stop it. But mm. as someone whose family went through that and they fled their homeland and they've literally never gone back. I can't walk around and pretend that that isn't possible for my own country, especially as I'm seeing so many symptoms now. So I decided I needed to create content that does something the internet hates, but something that you and I love, and that is explore nuance Mm. and attack tribalism with civilized discussions with people that disagree with each other. Let's sit together, break bread, understand each other and dispel the myths. It's a very hard space to be to actually talk about nuance because 
a friend of mine who's a political YouTuber, very, very successful, she says that before she goes on the internet, she bangs her head against the wall 10 times because people aren't ready <laughs> to hear nuance. They want to just hear, you know, the exact, you know, almost party lined thinking, but uh, it's really cool what you're doing. And where, where exactly on the internet are you doing most of this commentary and debates and things? Right now I'm working on a brand new app called Erupt. And the whole idea behind this app is our founder is this big shot Hollywood producer. And he was sick and tired during the U.S. elections in 2016 and in 2020, saying that if he went to Fox News, it was one headline and that it was completely spun in a different direction in CNN. And he was like, we have two Americas living in two completely different realities right now. That is going to ruin our country. Why can't CNN and Fox have a baby? And he's like, oh, I'm a billionaire. I can do that. So he's created an app called Erupt. And it's all about curating debate, but not in a way where two people go into the ring. And at the end of the conversation, there's a winner and a loser. Because guess what happens when we frame debates with a winner and a loser? Nobody wants to lose. There is no incentive to change your mind. And what we need to be doing on our media and in our living rooms is having the intellectual humility to listen, receive, process, and say, you know what? You got a point. And when you say that, the other person can then receive what you have to say. But we are never going to push our conversations forward if we are not willing to give a little slack, you know? Definitely. Definitely. So that's what we do. That's what we do at Erect. Yeah, and I'm going to be on it very soon. And we're going to talk about Australia and the crazy things going on here. I can't wait. Yeah. Yes, the same way that there's a lot of misunderstandings, uh, perhaps from Australia toward the US, the same thing vice versa. So I'm super excited to have you on. Yeah, it would be great. So on July 11, there was a massive protest in Cuba. Uh, and there's been a lot of mud in the water. What, what we had, the message we had in Australia was, oh, they're protesting because they don't have enough uh, vaccines. And that's pretty much the end of it. And then there was, of course, you know, Twitter battles and comment threads. So what is actually happening? Where are we today um, since that massive protest that we the world saw on July 11th? I'll answer the second question first, and then we'll go back to what was behind the protest, what Son did. Well, where we are is about 700 protesters have been detained and it's interesting, if you read the headlines and if you read the headlines the weekend of July 11th, they were all Cubans fearlessly protest in the streets. They were not fearless. They were terrified. Mm. And in the face of that fear, they protested in the streets. And the reason why they were afraid was because they knew that there would be a brutal crackdown on them for protesting. And that is what has occurred. 700 Cubans are now in prison. And we're not talking about Australian prison or U.S. prison. They're in a Cuban prison. There is no uh, due process for them. And their families are now in a position where they have no recourse to try to defend their unjustly imprisoned family members. If they don't do anything, their family members go to jail for who knows how long and are tortured. And if they do try to speak up, the regime then brutally assaults these imprisoned people. Either way, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. That is the definition of a dictatorship. Mm -hmm. And what we saw in the streets were 
Cubans, teenagers, and 90-year-olds trying to defend themselves against a highly skilled, brutal uh, police force and military. Love your mug, by the way. Very cute. Can I see that? <laughs> yeah, it says high maintenance, but you're worth it. Oh, I don't oh know if it's gonna, very it's cute. Amaze. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, uh, I totally you derailed you. No, no, no. It was great. You know what? That was the comedic relief. We needed that. <laughs> but what, what we're seeing, what we saw were, you know, teenagers and 90 year olds Cubans fighting in the streets, defending themselves against really heartless and, you know, radicalized police forces. And all these Cubans had were rocks and really shitty Wi-Fi. Yeah. So that is why the Cuban people would like to be heard, would like to stop their chants and their screams from being misconstrued by the media in your country and in mine. And they would like some assistance because otherwise the blood that was spilled and the people who have now been murdered and whose skulls were crushed on sidewalks in front of their parents, all of that was for naught. So that's where we were at, or that's where we are now. And Biden, I'm actually pretty proud of Biden. He as we speak, as you and I are filming right now, Biden is at the White House right now in a gathering with Cuban Americans from the diaspora. So good job scheduling our conversation at the same time that Biden is meeting with Cuban American leaders. And what they are discussing is a how to get internet on the island so that the next time that there is a protest and the Cuban regime decides to squash it by eliminating the internet, the US can be there to blast some Wi-Fi from Florida. Um, I'm sure they are discussing the embargo and U.S. sanctions um, and targeted sanctions specifically to the worst perpetrators of the crackdown. So that's where we're at. Yeah, I'd, I'd get the Cubans to have a meeting with Elon Musk and he can use his, his outer net to, to boost the signal. People don't realize that even if you go to a protest in a Western uh, democracy, the infrastructure isn't built to have 50,000 people on Wi-Fi streaming at the same time. So when you do try and stream, it's so pixelated, you can't see anything. And so if you're in Cuba and you're streaming something, one, you're not going to see anything. And two, you don't want to record it on your phone because you don't want to get arrested. And then they see what you recorded on your phone because then you get in even more trouble. So there's actually a big blind spot because of what you said is technical difficulties because you just can't have these many phones streaming at the same time, especially in a country like Cuba. But it begs the question, why are they protesting in the first place? What's going on? All right. Well, I want to show you a couple of things. So here is a random, um, I don't know if you can see, here is a random headline from New York Times. And very subtly, there is a subheadline that says, uh, recent demonstrations were denouncing shortages of food and medicine in Cuba. That is entirely incorrect. This had nothing to do with food shortages. It had very little to do with food shortages and medicine, and it had very little to do with vaccines. It begs the question, does no one in Australian media or in the US speak Spanish? Because every single video that came out of Cuba on the internet and on WhatsApp said, the chant was the same. We want freedom. We want freedom. Mm. Now, a hungry man is an angry man. 
And all of these variables intensified the tension in Cuba. But ultimately, these protests were about 62 years of repression, 62 years without free elections, 62 years without free goddamn press. That is what people are fighting for. And a precursor to this was actually inspired by the BLM protests of last year. Cuba is a very racially mixed population. And a lot of their artists, especially in the music and rap world, are Black Cubans and mixed mulatto Cubans. Those Cubans last summer were trying to create music that simply expressed their pain and frustration with their lives and with their government. And that artistic movement was immediately clamped down upon by their government. So they were inspired seeing BLM protests around the world and people championing black rights and black freedom of expression and black art. So these artists said, you know what? We're going to create a new wave of protests. And that helped lead to what happened on January, uh, on July 11th. And what is asinine is seeing how BLM, the organization, not the movement, but the specific organization called Black Lives Matter in the U.S., completely missed the point when their official response to what they were seeing on the news in Cuba clearly ignored every chance and scream and video by their Black brothers and sisters in Cuba. Because BLM's response was, we completely support, uh, we completely don't support the US sanctions and we think that the US is completely at fault for what's happening in Cuba because of the embargo. Not one goddamn Cuban in Cuba was out in the streets throwing rocks at police officers because of the goddamn embargo. It completely disregarded Cuban black lives, which begs the question, do all black lives matter or just certain black lives matter? Wow. You're treading some uh, some heavy intersectionality waters now, but um, I know, so- I know, but that's why I also wanted to differentiate between BLM the movement and yeah. uh, BLM the organization. I think we conflate that a lot. I'd love to hear what that's been like in Australia, but in the U.S., it's been very easy to collapse the two together. One thing is hailing racial equality and black rights in the U.S does have some pretty shitty records at what we've done with yeah. our black citizens and our mixed citizens. Mm-hmm. Now that has nothing to do with an organization that is being willfully ignorant and dangerously misleading on how they have framed what's happening in Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. So, but do they have a point? Is the trade embargo part of the problem? What, what, so what's the deal with that? Because uh, I know differently, but the common knowledge is that the U S blocks all trade and, you know, Cuba can't really trade with the Western world. That's what we think of when they say there's a trade embargo on Cuba. Um, the reason I know differently is because years ago I ordered some Cuban cigars with no problem. And I'm like, hang on, the rest of the world can trade with Cuba. So do they have a point, first of all? Thank you for asking that question. Uh, no, it does not have a point. As a matter of fact, Medicine, medical supplies, humanitarian aid, and food are all excluded from the U.S. embargo and have been excluded since 2001. As a matter of fact, Cuba and America trade on food. And by trade, I mean Cuba buys food from the U.S. And the U.S. uh, sells lots of medical infrastructure and supplies to Cuba, and they do that every year. 
So the reason why people are going hungry in Cuba is not because they don't have access to buying food from a different country. The reason why they're going hungry is because it is literally illegal to farm in Cuba. If you own an orange tree, it is illegal for you to get your surplus oranges and sell it to your neighbors. It is illegal for you to go sh uh, fishing on an island and your extra fish, sell it to the people in the in the square of Havana. That is why people are hungry. And that is why no one is buying from Cuba. There is no industry in Cuba. Yeah. And so that has nothing to do with the embargo. So how do you deal with, you know, having family who hailed from Cuba, how do you deal with people who would say, oh, that's not a real socialist country or that's not real communism that's that's because of the us or that's because of this um and i know you you hail from the left progressive side of politics so you've kind of moved towards the center or above center i would say um but how do you deal with that emotionally really is my my real question how do you deal with those sort of arguments that actually have no idea what they're talking about i feel like that moment where oprah asks um what's her name um the princess the black girl uh from the uk oh my god i'm what I, is her I, name the, i'm like the one that's married to harry her name is it's harry yeah Me megan 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 yeah i'm gonna start this again thank okay. you <laughs> i feel like that moment where oprah asks megan harry's wife so how are you? And then she starts to cry. She's like, no one's asked me that. Thank you for asking. Cuban Americans have felt so gaslit by our own friends and quote allies for decades. And in the same way that there's such a thing as, you know, maybe mansplaining or womansplaining or whitesplaining or whatever it is, we have been non-Cuban-splained, the Cuba situation, our whole lives. It turns out the thing that qualifies you to be an expert on geopolitics in Cuba is you once went to Havana and took a selfie in front of a 1957 Chevy. <laughs> that does not an expert make. So you know what? It, I'm glad you asked that. I'm not coming from an academic perspective because guess what? Academics are getting it wrong. I'm coming from a lived perspective. So... This was a fantastic moment where Cuban Americans for the first time in our lives got to go on social media and tell our friends, I know you are well-meaning, but instead of telling me what the situation is in Cuba and what spawned the protests, start by asking a goddamn question. Check in with me. I know. I'm the one who speaks Spanish, not you. You've clearly not seen any of the videos. I live the videos. Guys, let's take a real quick break. I just want to tell you that I do this for the love of liberty. I do this for the free flow of information, man. And life is just a vibration and the alienation of our thoughts. And, you know, I'll stop right now. If you buy me a coffee, head over to patreon.com. Look me up. The link is in the description below. We have all different merch things and the different tier levels. But, you know, if you just want to support the show with a one-off payment, that's cool too. And you don't have to. Just give us a like. Give us a share. But the link is in the description and I'm going to shut up now. Well, this version of me is going to shut up. The other version where I'm interviewing people really poorly is going to continue. Enjoy the rest of the show. And a little segue. It's it's funny how your personality is so um, so out there when you're speaking English. But I watch one of your Spanish videos and it's so soft. It's so soft spoken. Oh, Did you notice it that? It might have depended on what audience. I was. I think. 
I, I a a different audience and it be it just depends on what I'm talking about like if you want me to talk about I don't know like mask mandates I might not be as excited but you're getting me <laughs> riled up <laughs> there's a lot of pain here a lot of frustration and a lot of misconceptions yeah and and, and it's interesting because you know the allies mean well but somewhere along the way allies thought they were told that in order to be a good ally, show up and have answers, show up and show your Cuban friends how much you know. That does not an ally make. First, identify the problem correctly and then engage me in a conversation about the right solution is, what the right strategy is. But when you have misdiagnosed the illness, then we can't even begin to have a fruitful conversation. Mm. Yeah. So, so what do the Cuban people actually want? So they want freedom, but what do they actually want to happen from this protest? What were they hoping for? Because they, they obviously weren't hoping to be locked up and they obviously weren't hoping for people to be like, yeah, it's about the trade embargo. So what are they actually, what are they hoping for? When you listen to WhatsApp voice notes that they all sent their cousins in Florida, what the Cuban people said as they were in the streets was hurry tell them to send in their, the troops, tell America to send in the troops, we're ready. So it's interesting because we're having all these conversations on the outside of, oh, there should be no US intervention. You know, We should just support them with words. These people don't need words. Words don't make a difference. They don't move a needle in their lives. They want military assistance. That's actually what they want. They have tried everything else. It's 62 years later, my grandfather died. He fought for the Cuban revolution. He was, you know, brainwashed by Castro and it took him many years for him to wake up and realize he shed blood for a terrible human being that ruined his homeland. And he died not being able to see what Cuba could become. And so people our age now in Cuba, they don't want to die like my grandfather and be another lost generation. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a very, it's almost like you're stuck between, well, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, I just finished an interview with Scott Horton and we talked about US intervention in the Middle East for the last, you know, since, since Jimmy Carter and how much of a mess it is. Um, so it's, it's a strange thing that they're, you know, to grapple with the fact that they're actually demanding that US come in. I don't know how I feel about that. How do you feel about that? You know, it's, it's the danger is that, you know, it's actually going to, it's going to become worse. But then the argument is, well, it's already people are being locked up, 700 people in prison for protesting. And so how bad could it get really? So how do you actually feel about that? Is that a solution that you personally would endorse or what are your thoughts? This is not a popular, thank you for asking that. It's not a popular statement. I would actually, I would actually endorse that only because I don't know what other recourse we have. The people cannot fight against their government. They are outgunned, outarmed. Um, for 62 years, they've tried everything else. I mean, Cuba has spies everywhere. My own mother, when she was my age, was tapped on by the local committee of communists on her block. And they told her, 
we have a proposal for you. We know that you're looking for work, but we've got a really good situation for you. We've got a good job we want you to have. And in this job, you're going to be fed the best food. You're going to have the nicest house. We're going to set you up. You're going to have dinner every single night with steak. But what that means is you're going to have to be a spy and tell us what so-and-so is doing and what, you know, so-and-so said about the communist regime, et cetera. Tell us on everyone, including your mother, your father, and your brother. And if you turn down this job, we're not going to be very nice to you. So she didn't know what to do. Mm. And that has happened to a lot of Cubans. And that's how you got a lot of good people becoming spies for the government. It is impossible mm. to rebel against that system. So the only options are there is help externally to support the Cuban people. Um, or we have the status quo for many more generations to come. I don't see how else anything can change. Yeah. So how how could people in the West, you know, people in Australia, people in LA, where you are, how can we actually help as individuals, the situation going on there? Is it a matter of just spreading the truth more? Is it a matter of financial aid? What is it? Get the news right. Get the headlines right. Challenge the press when a Cuban isn't the one writing the story. Um, diagnose the problem correctly. Mm. So that's one ask questions instead of pretending you have an answer. Two, keep the conversation alive. You and I live in this media cycle where every five minutes the story changes and we, we focus on the new crises. The problem is we don't create lasting change in any of these situations if we only hold the conversation for five minutes. Five minutes is like foreplay. You don't drop into anything meaningful unless you stay with the conversation. Yes, I just compared news to sex. <laughs> <laughs> hey, some of us enjoy foreplay. <laughs> and I, same, exactly. But also we like what happens after foreplay. And third, as you so clearly stated in the beginning of this, we do have business connections with Cuba. We have Australians opening up restaurants and, you know, having business connections with the people in the regime of Cuba, there was something that they did in South Africa to help stop the apartheid. And that was, they created a bill of, of principles where if you create business in a certain land, that is a dictatorship. When you create the business, be very loud about championing human rights. Mm. It lands differently on the Cuban government when it is an Australian who is buying cigars or an Australian who wants to do a venture with a hotel in Cuba. It lands differently when that Australian says something about the conditions for the Cuban people than when their own people say it. Yeah, I love that. A bill of principles. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so there was something that you said uh, in one of your talks uh, when you were in Australia, which I really stuck with me. Um, and we touched on this in a phone call we had yesterday. Um, and I never realized it. Um, but at the start of Scarface, there's that little epilogue that says, you know, and I know you're laughing, but I, I just found this fascinating. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the context of that film? Because I, I feel like maybe it's just because it's an old movie and people don't read the first little epilogue and they just wait for the actual action to happen or it just goes in the back of their mind. Right. The, the film's quite outlandish and there's a lot of memorable things, but the premise of that film is actually really important. 
So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, no one knows that Scarface is actually about a very important historical event that happened in Cuba and in Miami. So in the year 1980, as tension was rising in Cuba, Castro basically said, y'all want to leave? Go ahead. Just tell your families in Miami to get in boats and come take you because we don't want the political traitors on our island anymore. So what happened, Cubans all over in the diaspora said, this is it, this is the moment I can finally go get my mother or I can finally come go bring my son. So Cubans all over Miami in 1980 found a boat, any boat, and they went 120 miles to Cuba, to the Mariel uh, Bridge. Uh, it's, this event is called the Mariel Boatlift. So you have hundreds of thousands of Cubans lining up at the Mariel um, boat dock. I don't know the language. Um, <laughs> and what happened was the Cuban government geniusly had a trick up its sleeve. And I'll, I'll explain it through the lens of my father. My father was one of those men who immediately left the beaches of Miami and went to Cuba because he had two daughters in Cuba that he hadn't seen in years and he wanted them back and safe. And when he arrived in Cuba in his small boat, ready to pick up his daughters, the communists say, okay, great. So for every Cuban that you pick up, we are releasing 10 people from the prisons and the insane asylums and filling them in your boat and taking them to the port in Miami. So I guess that's uh, two daughters. So that'll be 20 people from the prisons and the insane asylum. So I guess that's uh, 22 people plus you, sir. And my dad is looking at the small boat and he's like, uh, well, I, I can't fit like 22, 23 people here, but you know, you can just give me 10, but I, I got to take my two daughters. And the guy said, nope. 10 per daughter. And he said, well, I, the math is impossible. I can't fit that many people. And the guy said, all right, choose a daughter. The next day, my mother went to pick up my father at the port in Miami and he was um, alone and crying. And she said, what happened? And he crying said, I refuse to choose a daughter. The majority of Cubans in Miami the majority of our families came during this massive migration called the Mariel Boatlift in the year 1980. And that is what the movie Scarface is about. It's about one of those insane people that were released from the asylum flooding the streets of Miami in 1980. Wow. You know, you know as, as you said, the, the thing is that um, in L.A., most of the street signs are in English and then Spanish and then, you know, Every, all the announcements are also in Spanish. I remember going to Disneyland and I went on the, um, what's that? Is it the Haunted Mansion ride? I think that's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm going up the little, the, you know, yeah. the roller coaster and it's talking in English. It's saying, now you're going up the spooky roller coaster. I'm like, oh, lame. And then it repeats it in Spanish. It's like, hey, Borrero, es anana, spooky. And I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> that's so frightening. <laughs> But my point is um, we don't know the language. We don't have as many people that actually know Spanish. So you're talking to a predominantly English-speaking nation about things that we know nothing about. What do you want to leave them with in terms of what's going on in Cuba and what to expect? And, and like, again, how we can help. Um, we already Thank touched you. on that. But, but what, what, how, how do we look at this? First, know that Cubans love you. They are fascinated by you. They romanticize you. They want to learn more about you. They can't, but they want to. And second of all, Cubans feel unseen and unheard. 
they feel like no one helped them. No one helped them during 62 years. And in this moment, their one moment, no one did anything uncomfortable to help them. Um, I think Cubans want you to know that the healthcare system in Cuba is shit. And uh, that's, there are nice hospitals for you when you go visit Cuba. The ones that they go to are infested with cockroaches and don't have running water in the toilets and the rooms are anything but disinfected. I think the Cubans also want you to know that Cuba is not the racial utopia that many civil rights leaders in the US would have you believe. That is a total mistelling of history. Um, during our civil rights era, a lot of persecuted civil rights leaders in the US fled to Cuba. And that made black people, some black people in the US think that, um, you know, Cuba's racial utopia. Look at how they are inclusive in a way that our own government is not, absolutely not. Um, black nationalist organizations are illegal in Cuba. Um, black people in Cuba work in the worst sectors and the least paying ones, and they have the worst housing conditions, and they are disproportionately imprisoned by their own government. So the at least the racial reckonings that your country is having and that my country is having, Cuba hasn't even begun to have those kinds of conversations. Um, let's see. Yeah, and I think they just want you to keep the story alive. I was also gonna say, uh, there are two kinds of prostitutes in Cuba. There are actual sex workers. Uh, they're called jineteras in Cuban Spanish. And there's this joke that people say, which is the smartest prostitutes in the world are in Cuba because these are doctors who now sell their bodies on the side just to bring food to the table because the average doctor in Cuba makes $23 a month. And while prices are quite low, what happened? No, I'm shocked. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Let me that, that. That, that was my shocked face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The smartest prostitutes in the world are in Cuba because they are doctors who sell their bodies to put food on the table uh, because the average doctor in Cuba makes $23 a month. And while prices in Cuba are low, they're not that low. And actually the infl inflation in Cuba is worse than in the U.S. A gallon of, of milk in Cuba costs you $10 and you're allowed one per month. Um, wow. So there's actual sex work by highly educated people who do not want to be selling their bodies. And then you have the medical slavery in Cuba. Tourists love to talk about the fantastic doctors that Cuba has. You're right. We have highly trained, highly passionate doctors who have zero agency in their careers. They are used as a token. They are sent to other countries to show how great Cuba is. They are literally slaves. 90% of their salary is taken by their government and they have no vote in where they go or how long they stay. The Cuban government uses them to trade for fuel, to trade for food and again, these are things that the Cuba that Cuba could create on its own if the government hadn't effed up the ability of the people to farm for themselves and feed themselves. Mm. So the government created the problem. And then the solution that the government put, which is, well, uh, we don't have food and uh, fuel. So uh, let's just uh, force a bunch of people to become doctors and then send them to Venezuela. That just creates a whole other layer of a problem. And that's called medical slavery. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so 
heartbreaking to hear this kind of stuff because I mean, I, I come from a world where, you know, I read about free markets and I read about communism. I read about socialism. I read about price structures and how, you know, it, it never works when you put government limits on prices. It never works when you centralize power into one location. And when you screw up the incentive structure and, you know, I can see it logically why it doesn't work. And I could just, you know, go on debates on Twitter and just be like, yeah, that's stupid because of this. But then when you actually describe it and it actually impacts people's lives um, and these people are suffering because of an experiment or because of, of power hungry politicians, it's just really disheartening. And I, you know, I hope that we can, as you said, keep this story going and, and hopefully some positive changes happen, but um, thank you so much. And one, my pleasure. One last thing the Cuban people want is for the tourists to stop saying things like, Oh my gosh, those Cubans, they have nothing, but they're like so happy. They're not happy and their poverty shouldn't be romanticized or fetishized by Westerners. Yeah, that's just like thinking that a stripper likes you because they're smiling. She doesn't like you. She wants your money. She's not happy. Well, maybe some are happy, but um, yeah. I went to a strip bar last night. It was my first time in years. And, and you're right. She, she didn't actually like me. <laughs> I was going to say, how much money did you make? <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. I probably only tipped at like $20 in total for the that's whole pretty, night. Yeah, that's pretty good. Is it? Okay. I, I, right, I, cool. I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> no idea. I've, I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> this well, will be for your after midnight YouTube series. We'll have that conversation. Anyway. Yeah, I, I had an interview last night and it was ticking over midnight. Um, but it was not about strippers, but you know, still fun. So thank you so much for, for coming on. How do people find you and find out more about you? Find me on Instagram at Miriam, M I R I A M underscore Isa, I S A. You can follow me on Twitter at Miriam Isa without the underscore. Um, that, those are the main areas. Follow me on YouTube. And thank you so much for this amazing conversation. You are wonderful and smart. And I think the most important thing we can do in our, in our discourse is ask the right questions. And you are amazing at asking the right questions. Oh, thank you so much. And you, you kind of skipped over the most important place for people to find you, which is if they watch the TV series Chocolate News and they look out for the girl, hot Iraqi girl, <laughs> how do you know? Who told you? Who told you about how I got my SAG card that one time? Oh my God. Uh, the audition process. Yeah. They asked me to come in wearing a full burqa and then strip into a bikini, which is why we should have a different conversation, a whole other episode next time on what <laughs> members of ethnic minorities in the U.S. how we are rep- represented in media. That yeah, is everything I ever I ever booked as an actress. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, actually, before we go, I'm very curious because we have a lot a big Lebanese population here. Um, I don't know any half Cuban, half Lebanese people. How did that? What's the story there? Do you mind if I ask that? No. Uh, my grandmother and great grandmother were both child brides in Lebanon, mm-hmm. um, and they left Lebanon to Cuba. 
I think they were trying to run away from their husbands. Um, and then uh, they found new Lebanese men in Cuba. And that is how I became a Lebanese Cuban. So my oh, wow. father is the offspring of two child brides who were married off at 13 to like 40 year old Lebanese men. Wow. My, my Lebanese grandfather was like 40 when he married my 13 year old grandmother. It's insane. That's crazy. That's that's we're going to talk about that next time as well. You know, we'll get personal. <laughs> thank you awesome. so much for so being many here. Upcoming thank you, Randall. This was great. I had so much fun. And I'll see you on my app. We can't wait to have you. And to everyone watching, make sure that you download Erupt on the Apple Store.